Hello and welcome to the Ham Radio Guy and good afternoon. It's your host Marvin W0MET. Each week we're going to bring you the latest news, information, and education in the world of ham radio. Uh, here, right here on the Ham Radio Guy podcast. I hope that you'll uh, hit that subscribe button uh, for each week as we update it on Saturday mornings. And uh, this week on our first episode, we're going to talk about the Parks on the Air system, how it developed, and a little bit of information uh, as it's growing, and kind of, you know, what it takes to get into it, and, and what uh, once you get into it, uh, you know, what's the benefit, and, and uh, you know, talk about how much fun it really is. So we'll uh, bring that right here to your first uh, episode. And then also a little bit of news from Amateur Radio, um, American Radio Relay League. So uh, stay tuned. Hello again. This is your host, Marvin W0MAT, also the ham radio guy. We uh, are bringing you the Parks on the Air information uh, as our first episode. It's one of those things that I've really enjoyed getting out and doing. It's probably one of my favorite, um, actually, activities. Uh, besides field day itself each and every year. And so I want to kind of go back a little bit to uh, like 2016 and really talk about how the um, Parks on the Air system came. This all started back as a national program for the national parks for its 100-year anniversary system. And, you know, it's, like I said, I one of my favorite things to get out and do uh, and, you know, besides field day, but it's really like having a field day each and every time you're out working at Parks in the Air. And, you know, it's also a great public, um, you know, opportunity to educate the public on what we do and what our capabilities are and really get to know people uh, as well as just enjoy some nature and really get to uh, explore some of the parks and beautiful areas of our country that we have out there to uh, enjoy and uh, you know gets people out and about and you know speaking of you know i think i've looked at the facebook page for the parks on the air system and it has almost 10,000 members. So I'm sure there's a lot more than 10,000 members in the overall uh, uh, Parks on the Air system, but uh, I can't find that number of what how many registered users there are for the parksontheair.com website, or we also just call it POTA for short. The um, you know Parks on the Air system has just grown tremendously over the last few years from where it started out in 2016. And, you know, the Parks on the Air system really has no affiliation with the Amateur Radio Relay League or any other uh, particular organization on itself. It really is just a 501c3 uh, organization uh, that is ran by a bunch of volunteers uh, made up of, you know, uh, amateur radio operators uh, from around the country. And it's just a program, uh, Parks on the Air, uh, that encourages communications uh, for portable operations from state, uh, any provincial, uh, national, man- managed public wildlife, you know, public lands, uh, any WMAs. Uh, some, something that's really come to a question I've, I've had ran across a couple times is the Army Corps of Engineers property sometimes, and that really does not uh, fall into 
uh, that um, qualification for parks on the air. Uh, sometimes it, it's really close or maybe adjacent to uh, some state or, or national wildlife management area, but the Army Corps of Engineers does not um, fall into that for one of the uh, pro- uh, park designations. The Parks on the Air has a large set of references. Um, I don't know how many total parks there are out there in the national system now, uh, but uh, you know it's only got a few rules that you really have to uh, abide by uh, when you're out there doing the um, activation. And, and, and really, there's two sides to an activation. It's, it's you can be a hunter, uh, you can be at home on your base station or, or your mobile, whatever you have, and you can listen for listen for those activators that are out there in the parks working and and trying to make as many contacts as possible. So there's really two sides to it. Uh, you can win awards on both sides, and we'll get to that just a little bit more uh, in a few minutes. And so we. Um, We'll talk a little bit more about, um, you know, what is or who is Parks on the Air. Um, you know, again, it's just a, a, a base of uh, volunteers that coordinate the different call areas and 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 the social media for it, uh, and help and help develop the the POTA app website now that exists out there. Kind of the works in a mobile platform on an iPad or or a mobile phone um, or you know even a computer. And, and it's a great, uh, they've really, uh, developed this, this, this year in 2021. And it's really got to be a really great app to have out there, uh, when you're in the parks and using that. Or just when you want to, you know, look at your logs and your activations or your hunting, your, some, and even some of the awards. Again, we'll get to that in a few minutes. But, um, it, it's got a lot of great information on the site now, uh, that you're able to see. So how does one really begin the Parks on the Air program, and, and what do you need to uh, do to do that? Um, one is just go to parksontheair.com, and you can register as a user on that site for free. And as you get in there, um, you can start to look at the maps. This is one of the first things, tabs you can look at. And you can see all the dots on the map, uh, and, you know, whether it's your location or, or state you want to visit and do some parks on the air while you're out on vacation. But uh, you can see that there's lots of different parks in there. They usually all mostly begin with a K designation and then a four-digit code after that. And it's really um, important that you keep that K hyphen and then the four-digit code uh, when you're using your park uh, information, making notes in your log. Or if you're putting it as part of your uh, final file format when you're saving it, uh, you need that K K hyphen, you know, part number designation uh, in there. So it's this not K eighteen forty four or K one two three four. It is you know actual uh, the K hyphen in there. So always make sure you keep that as a, as a point of reference too. Um, what do you really need to activate the parks on the air? Um, you know, amateur radio license, of course. Uh, any type of a, a radio would work, VHF, UHF, uh, or just HF radio. Most people like to do the HF uh, with 20 and 40 meters, but I've seen a lot of people going out there doing it on digital. Some people have tried the two-meter side of it. Uh, there's certainly the opportunities, and, you know, a lot of many other bands are available to do that. And then any type of portable antenna, and there's the Chameleon, the Wolf River Coil, uh, KM4ACK has a great antenna out there for it. 
um, and you know many other just dipoles that you can easily throw up. Uh, but those are the one. Pactana does another one. Uh, but those are the more popular ones that we've seen and and, and have used throughout the uh, parks in the air uh, experiences that I have gone out and done. And so, uh, you know, one thing about being out there is that you've got your radio, you've got your antenna, uh, how are you going to power the radio now? So, um, you know, creating some type of portable power or access uh, to, you know, some type of battery or solar panel that you can power that radio off of. And um, there's a ton of good ones out there that we can uh, go in and talk about in future episodes. Uh, if you go out to YouTube, uh, there's a number of great sites out there. Um, Josh Naz um, with the Ham Radio Crash Course, uh, K-A-M-R-A-D Radio, uh, K-4-A-C-K. They all have done some great videos. Uh, I think even KB9 VBR has done some great videos on some solar panels and battery power. And typically it's taking like a bino battery. Again, no sponsor of this show or anything else at, at this point. But, um, you know, any type of uh, LiPo battery and uh, lithium phosphate, and, and that will, uh, you know, power up your radio. And, and you know, I would probably recommend on something like that at least maybe a 12 uh, to 20 amp hour. Uh, gives you a little bit more time uh, out there working and being an activator. So probably a 12 to 20 amp hour battery would be best for something like that. Uh, again, we can talk about that a little bit more as we get into other episodes. But uh, we put them in like a simple case from Harbor Freight and, you know, put a couple plugs on the side and power pole connectors and you're good to go. Um, and then you're making all these contacts out there with your operations now. You've got set up. Uh, how are you going to log that? So um, you can do pen and paper. Certainly always a great way to go but the thing about the parks on the air is they require an adif format to be submitted to them uh, for submission to their website to be uploaded so really you need to look at some type of program for that um, there's a new application out called hammers very popular uh, getting to be very well known and it will certainly do that for you n3 fjp can do that n1mm is another great software to do that so uh, certainly uh, some opportunities there uh, to make your decision and, and what you like best. Personally, I've been using N3FJP. Hammers is getting really big and, and growing. Uh, so uh, certainly some options there to look at, though, uh, as your, your choices you want to have. And then, you know, just have a lot of fun while you're out there. And it is such a blast. I was out twice last weekend working and uh, until I got rained out on Sunday and my battery died on Saturday. So, um, but... Uh, I didn't have a solar panel charging anything at that point. So, but, uh, anyway, that's a little bit more about what you need for equipment. It's pretty simple, a pretty basic setup. A lot of the times I can just do it on the back of my tailgate and a lawn chair. So it doesn't take a lot to do it in the park. Um, you know, pull up in a parking spot somewhere, back into it right on the, on the edge of the grass or the sidewalk and, you know, there you are working, uh, setting up, setting up an antenna and I'm up and operational in probably 10 minutes. So it's a really easy setup, a great way to get outside. And again, a great way to enjoy your parks. So, um, you know, once you get out there then and you've got all that set up and it's like, well, how do I just, you know, where do I start? So you can pretty much go to any frequency, uh, within your amateur radio license level and, uh, you know, start working, uh, a frequency there. And so you can start calling CQ, you know, POTA, um, and then, you know, give your call sign your, in your park designation. But, um, you know, a great way to do that is really get out onto that 
poeta.app website and uh, spot yourself. And once you start spotting yourself a couple times, people and you start calling and making some contacts, people will uh, help you out. And if you just say, hey, can you go out to this website and, and, and spot me if you don't have access to like a cell phone or any internet access to that point, um, just have the next contact go out there and ask if they can go in and spot you on the POTA website. And, and most people are very courteous and respectful of doing that and, and can certainly do that, no problem at all. So... Um, you know, that's certainly a good way to get your name out there, um, onto the POTA app site and saying you're at this frequency and, you know, uh, you know, this band. And so, um, you know, again, have somebody go out and do that for you. Um, you know, so something about, you know, some advantages of being a, on the parks on the air program, being out in a park, you know, quite often is, uh, even at my home here, the noise level floor with uh, power lines and and you know devices inside the house and you know HVAC systems running in the neighborhood, uh, get a lot of ground noise. And so you get out into those rural areas, get into those parks, and you typically find that you do have a lower noise floor. And um, you know, uh, so that's an advantage of being out there and operating. And um, sometimes you can activate from a you know a height of some point in, in a park. Um, sometimes you know you might run into some other uh, constraints uh, such as weather or accessibility of certain areas. But um, maybe not necessarily an advantage. But uh, you know it can be sometimes if you get out the elevations and you get out into that park. Uh, we are out in the Cumberland Gap. Um, I want to say late last fall, and uh, my brother and I, W4 OPS, and, you know, we had a great um, height elevation level in that park, so we got out really well with that. So, I mean, it, it certainly has some advantages. Again, that train can make a difference. So, um, you know, it's just an opportunity to test your radios and know that you keep them operational, keep your batteries charged, uh, and so, uh, you know, it, you can make parks on the air experience what you want of it um and i think just having uh, if you're getting out and taking a uh opportunity to get out once a month at least uh for even a couple hours it really helps make you a better operator and helps keep your skills sharp as an amateur radio operator if you don't have an uh, ability to have an hf station at home it's another great way to get out into the parks for that so uh, and, and you can just make DX, you know, all across the country and, and, and outside of the United States. Uh, it's not uncommon for me when I'm out there doing my parks in the air is to cover the four corners of the U.S. Uh, so it's really incredible. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it's a great time. Uh, you know, a couple of things is that, you know, you're getting out, you're de-stressing, and you can kind of get away from, you know, everyday life and, and people and the crowds and the, and the city traffic and lights and streets uh, and really just can kind of enjoy your time out there. Um, and so you can uh, make the best of it uh, in that park and, and certainly kind of maybe some, take some time away from the radio and just go enjoy the park itself as well while you're there. It's always a great time to go do that. So, um, you know. Uh, one of the quotes I've seen out there before was, you know, POTA combines everything we love to do. Uh, you get the great outdoors, you're getting HF operations, you'll be able to set up your antennas. You're, again, it's that field day experience almost every month or every day you go out and do it. Uh, it's just, uh, it's a great time to, to, to get out there. 
and I've just enjoyed it. So, you know, all modes are usually welcome on, on HF. So if you're just a, uh, amateur radio operator that enjoys doing a lot of FT8 or JSA call or FT4, uh, PSK31, any of those different digital modes, or if you want to do just phone or CW, uh, POTA welcomes all of those uh, different modes, and you can certainly win awards, and and, and your and you can see your statistics based on that. So it's a great logbook uh, to see on that POTA website once you start uploading your files to see kind of where you've covered and what states you've been in uh, and what you know bands you've activated on and which modes you've activated. So. And uh, once you start getting a few of those under your belt, you start to actually uh, get some activation awards. And, you know, these can be based on uh, like a bronze or silver for having, you know, a certain uh, park references, uh, like 10 unique park references or making so many contacts in one park. Um, there are, uh, you know, um, you know, a number of, you know, maybe so many QSOs from one park. Is what I was getting at a minute ago. Um, or you, you've done so many park-to-park activations, uh, just meeting other park-to-parks um, contacts, QSOs, over the um, while you're out there activating. And so that will also give you additional uh, points or awards uh, for that. So, you know, I would encourage you to get out and uh, create that account at parksontheair.com. And, uh, you know, certainly... Um, you know, take a look at that and, and consider that. So, you know, here's some other things to uh, look at and consider for parks on the air. And, um, you know, think about before you go out and do your park activation, what does that look like? Where do I want to go? Uh, so kind of why I start out is going to look at that first tab on the map and kind of see what parks are maybe near you and what's close. And where do you want to go? Uh, what is that? Um, what does that park have for challenges? Go out to that park website, uh, usually under that, that state that has a list of parks, and you can find that information out there. Uh, what is that? Because you always have to work within the confines of the park that you're in. Um, you can't just go sit on the edge of the road near the park or something like that. It doesn't work that way. Uh, you have to be inside the park itself. And, and, you know, you also have to, you know, look at the, uh, so not just being aside the, the, the footprint of the park itself, but also, um, you know, making sure you, you, you're being courteous to and respectful of the park while you're there. So what type of footprint are you uh, putting down? Um, are you having an impact uh, while you're there? Uh, well, that means whether you're... Um, you know, putting wires around a, a tree and, and taking off bark, or are you stomping through a bunch of weeds to, to reach out, you know, to that tree to try and throw your uh, weight up there to get that antenna over the branch? Uh, so there's lots of, um, you know, ways that you can have an impact just going out there and doing the parks on the air activation. So uh, you got to be very mindful of that as well. You know, are you going to get out to that park and be able to operate from the back of your vehicle? Or, uh, you know, are you going to have a little table you're going to set up? Uh, is this something you're going to have to pack up your stuff into a backpack of some sort? And are you going to have to hike a ways? So um, now you could consider um, what is your, you know, 
uh, station setup and, and what you need to take with you going to look like. So uh, depending on that park's terrain and, and how you're going to activate that park specifically. So, uh, you know, a lot of parks, of course, have a picnic table you might be able to operate at. So, you know, uh, or again, out of your back of your vehicle, um, you know, a lot of people are going to the camps to do a campsite sometimes. And they will just uh, use the campground uh, station as, you know, uh, part of their site and set something up. And that's where the verticals really come in, I think. Sometimes it makes it really nice. It's easier uh, in a smaller confined space. And, and I've done excellent with my Wolf River Coil. I've got an MFJ 213-inch whip on top of that, and, and it does phenomenal. Uh, but, you know, it, it's a small footprint. It doesn't take up a lot of room. And I don't have to worry about throwing, you know, a wire or a rope over a tree. So it makes set up and tear down really easy in that regards. So, uh, but, you know, I really recommend researching your park, uh, you know, before you go out there and look at things. And know what that park, uh, what its boundaries are and that you'll be working within the footprint uh, or, or within the boundaries of that park while you're there. So, um, just a little bit to, you know, get us started here. Um, you know, again, you can have, um, you know, that difficulty level uh, of park activation that you want, or you can make it, uh, you know, a very high difficulty situation. So, um, you know, how much of a risk are you willing to take? What do you need to do, uh, to make that work? Um, you know, is it going to be the climbing uh, and having to hike a ways, or is this a very easy and low uh, difficulty uh, where you're just backing into a parking spot and pulling out a table and setting up an you know, activation? So, um, you know, I think as you do more and more of these each and every month uh, or every time you go out, you start to learn a little bit more about your equipment, your radio, how it operates, and really what equipment you need to take with you. So... Um, you know, you don't want to get out there and go, well, I, I forgot my power plug or I forgot my, uh, you know, cable to go between the computer and the radio, the USB. And so you start to learn where to pack that up at and put that back every time so you don't, you know, forget it in a different box or a different spot. And so, um, you know, you don't want to, you know, have a failure to plan. So, uh, you know, it definitely takes a little bit of work to figure all that out. And to be out there with it um, and, and get yourself together, it might take a time or two for you to do that. So, uh, but getting your gear ready, does that mean, you know, having, um, you know, your batteries charged, uh, getting all your cables put together? Uh, do you have a watch that has UTC time on it or does a, your computer have UTC time? Uh, do you have your, you know, is your power plug, how are you going to power your computer if it dies after two hours? How is the battery on that? Um, you know, do you have a backup log uh, with pen and paper? So, um, you know, do you need a map of some sort of the park? Uh, do you know what your grid square is when you go out there? Uh, you know, just double checking your gear to make sure you have everything, uh, bringing, you know, a spare cable or something and, you know, uh, maybe, uh, you know, I've had this happen. Go out and have a coax that's 25 foot long and, and one of my ends was bad. I have a, have a spare cable with me. I kept that as part of the, my gear to go with me just in case. I had an SL239 or a connection go bad in one of the cables and I was able to replace that right there and, and keep activating without having to go home early. So. Um, you know, certainly things you can take into mind and think about as you are, uh, you know, getting your gear ready 
and making sure you have everything for that first activation or, you know, your repeated activations you have. Um, so, uh, you know, getting into the park uh, and setting up, uh, again, we talked about, you know, um, checking in with the ranger, uh, you know, minimizing your footprint while you're there. So let them, make sure you check with them and, and ask that, you know, visitor center, hey, you know, I'm here with amateur radio. Uh, I'm an amateur radio operator and I'm here to do some parks in the air. Uh, is there any changes to conditions or any uh, limitations to, to where I can operate? Uh, and just, you know, kind of describe what your setup is. And, and I guarantee that most of those park rangers out there, there may be a few that don't, but, uh, the majority of the parks, the state and, and local, or national parks, I'm apologies, um, is they're very familiar with the parks in the air program. And I've had them stop and talk to me a couple of times and, and chat and, uh, you know, find out a little bit more about it. But, uh, you know, they probably would want you to stay out, out of any overflow parking or they might want you to stay out of like the campgrounds if you're not camping there. Um, and you're sitting up in a shelter that may be reserved for an hour later or something. So they can let you know about those sort of things when you go out and uh, check in with the ranger at the, at the, at the visitor center. So, uh, or maybe just one of the guides there possibly. So uh, it's always a good thing. Uh, again, uh, we want to respect uh, where we're at in, in our park parks and, and always uh, show our uh, professionalism as we go out into these parks and, and set up with, uh, you know, the parks on the air program. So we want to continue to keep this, uh, something that we can go on and on with, uh, again, as it continues to grow and, uh, more people become interested. Um, it's a great, uh, you know, great program overall. So we want to make sure we always be respectful and, and, and courteous to, to those places we go. Um, you know, other things you have to think about when you're setting up at your site now, uh, once you've got set up, I should have mentioned this earlier, was uh, safety. Uh, you know, is somebody going to come visit your site? I talked about the rangers coming and visiting. Are they going to trip over cables? Are they going to trip, walk into a, uh, you know, a, a really thin 26 gauge, you know, wire, uh, that you have, you know, as part of your, you know, sloping antenna on an infed half wave? Um, you know, or is that be, you know, uh, some rope, uh, just dangling left, uh, that you've thrown over the tree. So, um, you know, what are those things well visibly marked? Uh, can they see them? You might have some stakes out there as well in the ground somewhere they might trip over. Um, you know, so can you take some flagging tape with you or put some traffic cones out there that might be really small, uh, and wait, you know, some white, uh, T-shirts that are ripped up and you throw over your antenna just so they can kind of see that it's there. It's really small, fine wire. Or maybe, you know, it might be even towards closer to early morning or or late in the evening and it's getting a little darker. It's a little hard to see. And so, uh, you know, you might be wrapping up and doing the late night shift, as we call it, the late shift on the parks on the air. And, uh, you know, it's getting, it's really dark out there. So do you have a flashlight or headgear that you can use to... Uh, you know, keep your hands free and use the headlamp and be able to pick up all your stuff. And do you forget that yellow stake, uh, or green stake that you had holding down your antenna? So, uh, you know, just things to think about like that, your safety as well as others that may visit you, um, during that time. So, uh, once you've got, um, your radio on the air, your safety protocols are all in place. Um, you know, what is that going to look like? Um, you know, it's um, one of those things where 
you just want to double check and make sure that um, you know you've got all your stuff in place as you start to make those contacts. Your logging software and your batteries and everything are all good. And once you get there and set up, um, you know is everything running? And you have pencil and paper in case your computer just dies at the last minute. So um, then you can start making those exchanges. And um, you know again, Parks on the Air doesn't really have a formal exchange. Uh, it's really just about signal report, um, the call sign. And a location. So it could be um, W0MET and a, a, a um, 59 Tennessee. So uh, that's all you really need from uh, another um, hunter or, or another per- contact, a QSO that you make, is, is those three things. And, and then you're submitting that in that ADI file, which I talked about earlier. Now, sometimes uh, if you do like a park-to-park reference, you'll need the other person's park number. Uh, again, that designator I spoke about earlier, that K dash, and then whatever that four-digit number would be after that. Um, so you want to make sure you record the other activator's park reference because they want credit for that as well as you want credit for that for that park-to-park. Uh, and that's a script that runs in the background. Uh, once you upload your, once you submit your file to the uh, designated person for that um, zone that you're in, whether you're in a four zone or a zero zone or a seven zone, uh, you submit to that person, um, and you can find them listed also on the Poto website. And then, you know, they will upload those files and a script runs out in the background that basically says, hey, they've got a park-to-park reference here. And they kind of see that, oh, it was you and whoever the other person was, and they can make that park-to-park uh, credit. And, and they make that that uh, reference between each other. And so they know that that's good. And then, um, you know, that will get added to your part of your awards and part of your statistics that you have for how many contacts you've made. So it's really important that you make that um, contact and and make sure you give each person the credit for it. And that kind of goes along to be said that sometimes when you're working at park, you may be uh, in park one, two, three, four. And while you're there, you're also able to work park two, three, four, five. So sometimes you get a two for one. And you can, uh, you know, have two parks while you're working in one location. And so at that point, you want to be able to, um, you know, make sure you log both of those um, as individual contacts as part of the exchange. So you get credit for that two for one. Uh, you're really getting a one-on-one contact for each park. And even though maybe the same person and they're in the same park, but they're actually in two parks at the same time, if that makes sense, which I hope it does. Uh, so make sure you log them individually as separate contacts with like a minute difference um, so you can get that uh, designation correct in there. And, and they can see that it shows it doesn't look like a duplicate entry necessarily. So uh, just be careful of that and have that time frame difference. And that makes a difference. Um you know, once you get your contacts, you'll need a minimum of 10 to do that. And, uh, you can pack up and move on to the next park or you can continue to make, you know, more contacts than that if you want. Uh, but once you've kind of done with your day and you, you've wrapped it up, um, you know, start breaking down your station and, uh, you know, 
it's one of those things I talked about earlier. You're forgetting your cable or you're uh, forgetting your USB cable to connect to your computer and radio together. Make sure you kind of put that back in the same spot. Wrap the cable together, whatever you do, so you know that you have it with you next time and that it's in that same spot versus looking for it and forgetting where it's at. And if you can put it back in the same spot every time, it makes it a lot easier when you want to go activate it the next time at the log. So, um, you know, you want to keep your logs safe and have a lot of information on them, uh, whether you've done a paper log or you want to make sure you go in and save that file. Uh, if it's an ADIF, if you're using one of those logging softwares we talked about earlier, uh, you know, and maybe copy your log to a USB drive for a backup just in case because you want to make sure you have that. Um, and you want to check for any left items behind, again, that ground stake or something, any feed lines you might have left behind you dropped uh, or, you know, had thrown to the side because your other one wasn't working, whatever the case may be. Uh, always remember that. So um, after your activation, you're repairing any gear, processing your logs, and getting them submitted. And, um, you know, really a couple of hints just for maximizing your QSOs is that, um, you know, make sure that you, you know, thank your QSOs as you um, are out there making them. Um, you know, always do a last call. And, um, you know, if you, uh, you know, work a special event station or a one by one station, ask for the operator's personal call sign. Uh, you, that's what they're looking for on those type things. Um, and then again, you might get a club call sometimes as well as your own call sign. So just make sure you get that personal call sign. And, uh, you know, biggest thing is have fun. And when you're done, you get home and you can format that log to an ADI file, get that thing submitted. And, uh, you know, you're good to go. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, other things we could really look at covering, uh, you know, historic trails and, and scenic trails and, and, you know, whatever. But if you go out to that Parks on the Air website, uh, there's a lot of resources out there you can actually look at and, and, and figure out and learn and read. And I would suggest if this is your first time getting into Parks on the Air, you just go read uh, the Activator Guide or uh, some of the other knowledge-based stuff out there that will definitely answer a lot of the questions for you. And you'll find that as one of my resources um, that, you know, I've utilized today for this. So, you know, we uh, are getting out in the Parks on the Air quite often, uh, as, and as many times as I can a month. Uh, usually it's usually once or twice, but, uh, you know, we look forward to – getting out as, as much as we can and having fun with it. And I would encourage you to try and get out every month and do it as well and create that as a personal challenge, which I, I made it so far this year, six months, uh, and I've got out at least once every time, if not more. Bring you more and more of those uh, each and every week, uh, different subjects that hopefully you'll find interesting. We're going to switch gears for just a minute and do some quick highlights uh, of news that's occurring in the world of ham radio. Uh, the first major one everyone's probably heard about or seen in the news is the FCC investigating the Cuban government and jamming the ham radio um, bands in the 40-meter band area. A lot of ham operators down in Florida have uh, complained that they have not been able to communicate with operators in the country uh, since the anti-government protests have begun. And now the Federal Communications Commission is starting an investigation into this issue. And a Massachusetts court okays the amateur radio tower uh, after the Zoning Board of Appeals in the city of Framingham, Massachusetts, erred in revoking a building permit for an 80-foot ham radio tower. The 
initial um, tower permit had been approved, and the city then went and revoked the permit, uh, citing that the setback requirements for the city's uh, wireless uh, communication facilities uh, bylaw, uh, and it did not fit that, so they had to um, have the zoning requirements um, and the setbacks required for the construction of an amateur radio tower for amateur radio use, and the court ruled that uh, there's not settled on the basis of like the PRB1, uh, which you're all hopefully familiar with, um, considerations, but it was basically uh, on the setback requirements uh, should apply. And so PRB1 requires that local governments reasonably accommodate the amateur radio installations. And so he was able to get that tower constructed. Also, in other world news, Amateur radio operators respond to the flooding in Western Europe in countries, countries of Germany, Belgium, and Netherlands, where more than 120 lives are still uh, remain unaccounted for. The Dutch Amateur Radio Service and the Belgian Emergency Amateur Radio Service coordinated their efforts in creating VHF links between emergency call centers in Brussels and the province of Hainaut. Also, they had other additional volunteers deployed in the region to help support communication for fire, ambulance stations, hospitals, and emergency vehicles, and command posts uh, in Mons. So, again, amateur radio operators doing a great job uh, across the world uh, providing uh, services, uh, you know, with the amateur radio emergency services. So, um, you know, certainly reach out to the ARRL and look for a amateur radio emergency service group near you and uh, you may be called upon one day to also serve in such a need so that is the end of the news that we have uh, for this week you know always check out um, you know other podcasts like uh, from AWRL or um, you know go on to like the AWRL website and continue to look for other upcoming events such as the Huntsville Ham Fest, just right around the corner, August 21st and 22nd at the Von Braun Center in Huntsville. We'll hopefully look forward to seeing you all there. I'm going to say 73 and have a great one from the Ham Radio Guy, W0MET.